0: Chapter Two of Miscellanea Curiosa, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. dot org. Recording by Kathleen. Miscellanea Curiosa, Volume One by Edmund holly Chapter Two. The true theory of the tides extracted from that admired treatise of Mr. Isaac Newton, entitled Philosophia Naturalis Principia Mathematica being a discourse presented with that book to the late king james by mr edmund hawley it may perhaps seem strange that this paper being no other than a particular account of a book long since published should now appear here but the desires of several honourable persons which could not be withstood have obliged us to insert it here for the sake of such who being less knowing in mathematical matters and therefore not daring to adventure on the author himself are notwithstanding very curious to be informed of the causes of things particularly of so general and extraordinary phenomena as are those of the tides now this paper having been drawn up for the late king james use in whose reign the book was published and having good satisfaction to those that got copies of it it is hoped the savans of the higher form will indulge us this liberty we take to gratify their inferiors in point of science and not be offended that we here insist more largely upon mr newton's theory of the tides which how plain and easy soever we find is very little understood by the common reader the sole principle upon which this author proceeds to explain most of the great and surprising appearances of nature is no other than that of gravity whereby in the earth all bodies have a tendency towards its centre as is most evident and from the undoubted arguments it's proved that there is such a gravitation towards the centre of the sun moon and all the planets from this principle as a necessary consequence follows the spherical figure of the earth and sea and of all the other coelestial bodies and though the tenacity and firmness of the solid parts support the inequalities of the land above the level yet the fluids pressing equally and easily yielding to each other soon restore the equilibrium if disturbed and maintain the exact figure of the globe now this force of descent of bodies towards the centre is not in all places alike but is still less and less as the distance from the centre increases and in this book it is demonstrated that this force decreases as the square of the distance increases that is the weight of bodies and the force of their fall is less in parts more removed from the centre in the proportion of the squares of the distance so as for example a ton weight on the surface of the earth if it were raised to the height of four thousand miles which i suppose the semi-diameter of the earth would weigh but one four of a ton or five hundred weight if to twelve thousand miles or three semi diameters from the surface that is four from the centre it would weigh but one sixteen part of the weight on the surface or a hundred and quarter so that it would be as easy for the strength of a man at that height to carry a ton weight as here on the surface a one hundred one four and in the same proportion does the velocities of the fall of bodies decrease for whereas on the surface of the earth all things fall sixteen foot in a second at one semi diameter above this fall is but four foot and at three semi diameters or four from the centre it is but one sixteen of the fall at the surface or but one foot in a second and at greater distances both weight and fall become very small but yet at all given distances is still something though the effect become insensible at the distance of the moon which i suppose sixty semi diameters of the earth thirty six hundred pounds weigh but one pound and the fall of bodies is but of one thirty six hundred a foot in a second or sixteen foot in a minute that is a body so far off descends in a minute no more than the same at the surface of the earth would do in a second of time as was said before the same force decreasing after the same manner is evidently found in the sun moon and all the planets but more especially in the sun whose force is prodigious becoming sensible even in the immense distance of saturn this gives room to suspect that the force of gravity is in the coelestial globes proportional to the quantity of matter in each of them and the sun being at least ten thousand times as big as the earth its gravitation or attracting force is found to be at least ten thousand times as much as that of the earth acting on bodies at the same distance this law of the decrease of gravity being demonstratively proved and put past contradiction the author with great sagacity inquires into the necessary consequences of this supposition whereby he finds the genuine cause of the several appearances in the theory of the moon and planets and discovers the hitherto unknown laws of the motion of comets and of the ebbing and flowing of the sea each of which are subjects that have hitherto taken up much larger volumes but truth being uniform and always the same it is admirable to observe how easily we are enabled to make out very abstruse and difficult matters when once true and genuine principles are obtained and on the other hand it may be wondered that notwithstanding the great facility of truth and the perplexity and non-consequences that always attend erroneous suppositions these great discoveries should have escaped the acute disquisitions of the best philosophical heads of all past ages and be reserved to these our times but that wonder will soon cease if it be considered how great improvements geometry has received in our memory and particularly from the profound discoveries of our incomparable author the theory of the motion of the primary planets is here shown to be nothing else but the contemplation of the curve lines which bodies cast with a given velocity in a given direction and at the same time drawn towards the sun by its gravitating power would describe or which is all one that the orbs of the planets are such curve lines as a shot from a gun describes in the air being cast according to the direction of the piece but bent in a crooked line by the supervening tendency towards the earth's centre and the planets being supposed to be projected with a given force and attracted towards the sun after the aforesaid manner are here proved to describe such figures as answer punctually to all that the industry of this and the last age has observed in the planetary motions so that it appears that there is no need of solid orbs and intelligences as the ancients imagined nor yet of vortices or whirlpools of the coelestial matter as descartes supposes but the whole affair is simply and mechanically performed upon the sole supposition of a gravitation towards the sun which cannot be denied the motion of comets is here shown to be compounded of the same elements and not to differ from planets but in their greater swiftness whereby overpowering the gravity that should hold them to the sun as it doth the planets they fly off again and distance themselves from the sun and earth so that they soon are out of our sight and the imperfect accounts and observations antiquity has left us are not sufficient to determine whether the same comet ever return again but this author has shewn how geometrically to determine the orb of a comet from observations and to find his distance from the earth and sun which was never before done the third thing here done is the theory of the moon all the inequalities of whose motion are proved to arise from the same principles only here the effect of two centres operating on or attracting a projected body comes to be considered for the moon though principally attracted by the earth and moving round it does together with the earth move round the sun once a year and is according as she is nearer or farther from the sun drawn by him more or less than the centre of the earth about which she moves whence arise several irregularities in her motion of all which the author in this book with no less subtility than industry has given a full account and though by reason of the great complication of the problem he has not yet been able to make it purely geometrical tis to be hoped that in some farther essay he may surmount the difficulty and having perfected the theory of the moon the long desired discovery of the longitude which at sea is only practicable this way may at length be brought to light to the great honor of your Majesty and advantage of your subjects all the surprising phenomena of the flux and reflux of the sea are in like manner shewn to proceed from the same principle which i design more largely to insist on since the matter of fact is in the case much better known to your majesty than in the foregoing if the earth were alone that is to say not affected by the actions of the sun and moon it is not to be doubted but the ocean being equally pressed by the force of gravity towards the centre would continue in a perfect stagnation always at the same height without either ebbing or flowing but it being here demonstrated that the sun and moon have a like principle of gravitation towards their centres and that the earth is within the activity of their attractions it will plainly follow that the equality of the pressure of gravity towards the center will thereby be disturbed and though the smallness of these forces in respect of the gravitation towards the earth's center renders them altogether imperceptible by any experiments we can devise yet the ocean being fluid and yielding to the least force by its rising shoes where it is less pressed and where it is more pressed by its sinking now if we suppose the force of the moon's attraction to decrease as the square of the distance from its centre increases as in the earth and other coelestial bodies we shall find that where the moon is perpendicularly either above or below the horizon either in zenith or nadir there the force of gravity is most of all diminished and consequently that there the ocean must necessarily swell by the coming in of the water from those parts where the pressure is greatest viz in those places where the moon is near the horizon but that this may be better understood i thought it needful to add the following figure where m is the moon e the earth c its centre and z the place where the moon is in the zenith n wherein in nadir now by the hypothesis it is evident that the water in z being nearer is more drawn by the moon than the centre of the earth c and that again more than the water in n wherefore the water in z hath a tendency towards the moon contrary to that of gravity being equal to the excess of the gravitation in z above that in c and in the other case the water in n tending towards the moon than the centre c will be less pressed by as much as is the difference of gravitation towards the moon in sea and in this rightly understood it follows plainly that the sea which otherwise would be spherical upon the pressure of the moon must form itself into a spheroidal or oval figure whose longest diameter is where the moon is vertical and the shortest where she is in the horizon and that the moon shifting her position as she turns round the earth once a day this oval of water shifts with her occasioning thereby the two floods and ebbs observable in each twenty-five hours and this may suffice as to the general cause of the tides it remains not to shew how naturally this motion accounts for all the particulars that have been observed about them so that there can be no room left to doubt but that this is the true cause thereof the spring tides upon the new and the full moons and neap tides on the quarters are occasioned by the attractive force of the sun in the new and full conspiring with the attraction of the moon and producing a tide by their united forces whereas in the quarters the sun raises the water where the moon depresses it and the contrary so as the tides are made only by the difference of their attractions that the force of the sun is no greater in this case proceeds from the very small proportion the semi-diameter of the earth bears to the vast distance of the sun it is also observed that ceteris paribus the equinoctical spring tides in march and september or near them are the highest and the neap tides the lowest which proceeds from the greater agitations of the waters when the fluid spheroid revolves about a great circle of the earth then when it turns about in a lesser circle it being plain that if the moon were constituted in the pole and there stood that the spheroid would have a fixed position and that it would be always high water under the poles and low water everywhere under the equinoctical and therefore the nearer the moon approaches the poles the less is the agitation of the ocean which is of all the greatest when the moon is in the equinoctical or farthest distant from the poles whence the sun and moon being either conjoined or opposite in the equinoctical produce the greatest spring tides and the subsequent neap tides being produced by the tropical moon in the quarters are always the least tides whereas in june and december the spring tides are made by the tropical sun and moon and therefore less vigorous and the neap tides by the equinoctial moon which therefore are the stronger hence it happens that the difference between the spring and neap tides in these months is much less considerable than in march and september and the reason why the very highest spring tides are found to be rather before the vernal and after the autumnal equinox viz in february and october than precisely upon them is because the sun is nearer the earth in the winter months and so comes to have a greater effect in producing the tides hitherto we have considered such affections of the tides as are universal without relation to particular cases what follows from the differing latitudes of places will be easily understood by the following dig let a p e p be the earth covered over with very deep waters c its centre p p its poles a e the equinoctical f f the parallel of latitude of a place d d another parallel at equal distance on the other side of the equinoctical h h the two points where the moon is vertical and let k k be the great circle wherein the moon appears horizontal it is evident that a spheroid described upon h h and KK shall nearly represent the figure of the sea and c f c d c f c d shall be the heights of the sea in the places f d f d in all which it is high water and seeing that in twelve hours time by the diurnal rotation of the earth the point f is transferred to f and d to d the height of the sea cf will be that of the high water when the moon is present and cf that of the other high water when the moon is under the earth which in the case of this figure is less than the former cf and in the opposite parallel dd the contrary happens the rising of the water being always alternately greater and less in each place when it is produced by the moon declining sensibly when it is produced by the moon declining sensibly from the equinoctical that being the greatest of the two high waters in each diurnal revolution of the moon wherein she approaches nearest either to the zenith or nadir of the place whence it is that the moon in the northern signs in this part of the world makes the greatest tides when above the earth and in southern signs when under the earth the effect being always the greatest where the moon is farthest from the horizon either above or below it and this alternate increase and decrease of the tides has been observed to hold true on the coast of england at bristol by captain Sturmey, and at plymouth by mr Colpress. but the motions hitherto mentioned are somewhat altered by the libration of the water whereby though the action of the luminaries should cease the flux and reflux of the sea would for some time continue this conservation of the impressed motion diminishes the differences that otherwise would be between two consequent tides and is the reason why the highest spring tides are not precisely on the new and full moons nor the neaps on the quarters but generally they are the third tides after them and sometimes later all these things would regularly come to pass if the whole earth were covered with sea very deep but by reason of the shoalness of some places and the narrowness of the straits by which the tides are in many cases propagated there arises a great diversity in the effect and not to be accounted for without an exact knowledge of all the circumstances of the places as of the position of the land and the breadth and depth of the channels by which the tide flows for a very slow and imperceptible motion of the whole body of the water where it is for example two miles deep will suffice to raise its surface ten or twelve feet in a tide's time whereas if the same quantity of water were to be conveyed up a channel of forty fathoms deep it would require a very great stream to effect it in so large inlets as are the channel of england and the german ocean whence the tide is found to set strongest in those places where the sea grows narrowest the same quantity of water being to pass through a smaller passage this is most evident in the straits between portland and cape de hague in normandy where the tide runs like a sluice and would be yet more between dover and calais if the tide coming about the island from the north did not check it and this force being once impressed upon the water continues to carry it above the level of the ordinary height in the ocean particularly where the water meets a direct obstacle as it is at st and where it enters into a long channel which running far into the land grows very straight at its extremity as it is in the severn sea at chepstow and bristol this shoalness of the sea and the intercurrent continents are the reason that in the open ocean the time of high water is not at the moon's appulse to the meridian but always some hours after it as it is observed upon all the west coast of europe and africa from ireland to the cape of good hope in all which a s w moon makes high water and the same is reported to be on the west side of america but it would be endless to account all the particular solutions which are easy corollaries of this hypothesis as why the lakes such as the caspian sea and mediterranean seas such as the black sea the straits and baltic have no sensible tides for lakes having no communication with the ocean can neither increase nor diminish their water whereby to rise and fall and seas that communicate by such narrow inlets and are of so immense an extent cannot in a few hours time receive or empty water enough to raise or sink their surface anything sensibly Lastly to demonstrate the excellency of this doctrine the example of the tides in the port of tungking in china which are so extraordinary and differing from all others we have yet heard of may suffice in this port there is but one flood and ebb in twenty-four hours and twice in each month viz when the moon is near the equinoctical there is no tide at all but the water is stagnant but with the moon's declination there begins a tide which is greatest when she is in the tropical signs only with this difference that when the moon is to the northward of the equinoctical it flows when she is above the earth and ebbs when she is under so as to make high water at moons setting and low water at moons rising but on the contrary the moon being to the southward makes high water at rising and low water at setting it ebbing all the time she is above the horizon as may be seen more at large in the philosophical transactions num one hundred sixty two the cause of this odd appearance is proposed by mr newton to be from the concurrence of two tides, the one propagated in six hours out of the Great South Sea, along the coast of China, the other out of the Indian Sea, from between the islands in twelve hours, along the coast of Malacca and Cambodia. The one of these tides, being produced in north latitude, is, as has been said, greater when the moon being to the north of the equator is above the earth, and less when she is under the earth the other of them which is propagated from the indian sea being raised in south latitude is greater when the moon declining to the south is above the earth and less when she is under the earth so that of these tides alternately greater and lesser there comes always successively two of the greater and two of the lesser together every day and the high water falls always between the times of the arrival of the two greater floods and the low water between the arrival of the two lesser floods and the moon coming to the equinoctical and the alternate floods becoming equal the tide ceases and the water stagnates but when she has passed to the other side of the equator those floods which in the former order were the least now becoming the greatest that that before was the time of high water now becomes the low water and the converse so that the whole appearance of these strange tides is without any forcing naturally deduct from these principles and is a great argument of the certainty of the whole theory End of chapter two